Chapters 81 through 84 of the Autobiography of Benvenuto Cellini, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Autobiography of Benvenuto Cellini, Volume 1. Translated by John Addington Simons. Chapters 81 through 84. 81. It happened at this time, Ottaviano de' Medici, who, to all appearances, had got the government of everything in his own hands, favoured the old master of the mint against the duke's will. This man was called Bastiano Sanini, an artist of the antiquated school, and of little skill in his craft. Ottaviano mixed his stupid dyes with mine in the coinage of the crown pieces. I complained of this to the duke, who, when he saw how the matter stood, took it very ill, and said to me, Go, tell this Ottaviano de' Medici, and show him how it is. I lost no time, and when I had pointed out the injury that had been done to my fine coins, he answered, like the donkey that he was, We choose to have it so. I replied that it ought not to be so, and that I did not choose to have it so. He said, And if the duke likes to have it so? I answered, It would not suit me, for the thing is neither just nor reasonable. He told me to take myself off, and that I should have no swallow in it this way, even if I burst. Then I returned to the duke, and related the whole unpleasant conversation between Ottaviano de' Medici and me, entreating his excellency not to allow the fine coins which I had made for him to be spoiled, and begging for permission to leave Florence. He replied, Ottaviano is too presuming. You shall have what you want, for this is an injury offered to myself. That very day, which was a Thursday, I received from Rome a full safe conduct from the Pope, with advice to go there at once and get the pardon of Our Lady's Feast in mid-August, in order that I might clear myself from the penalties attaching to my homicide. I went to the duke, whom I found in bed, for they told me he was suffering the consequence of a debauch. In little more than two hours I finished what was wanted for his waxen medal, and when I showed it to him it pleased him extremely. Then I exhibited the safe conduct sent to me at the order of the Pope, and told him how His Holiness had recalled me to execute certain pieces of work. On this account I should like to regain my footing in the fair city of Rome, which would not prevent my attending to his medal. The duke made answer half in anger, Benvenuto, do as I desire. Stay here. I will provide for your appointments, and will give you the lodgings in the mint, with much more than you ask for, because your requests are only just and reasonable. And who do you think will be able to strike the beautiful dies which you have made for me? Then I said, My lord, I have thought of everything, for I have here a pupil of mine, a young Roman whom I have taught the art, he will serve your excellency very well till I return with your medal finished, to remain for ever in your service. I have in Rome a shop open, with journeymen and a pretty business. As soon as I have got my pardon, I will leave all the devotion of Rome to a pupil of mine there, and will come back, with your excellency's good permission, to you. During this conversation, the Lorenzino de' Medici, whom I have mentioned above, was present, and no one else. The duke frequently signed to him that he should join in pressing me to stay, but Lorenzino never said anything except, Benvenuto, you would do better to remain where you are. I answered that I wanted by all means to regain my hold on Rome. He made no reply, but continued eyeing the duke with very evil glances. When I had finished the medal to my liking, and shut it in its little box, I said to the duke, My lord, pray let me have your good will, for I will make you a much finer medal than the one I made for Pope Clement. It is only reasonable that I should, since that was the first I ever made." Messer Lorenzo here will give me some exquisite reverse, as he is a person learned of the greatest genius. To these words Lorenzo suddenly made answer, I have been thinking of nothing else but how to give you a reverse worthy of his excellency. The duke laughed a little, and looking at Lorenzo said, 
Lorenzo, you shall give him the reverse, and he shall do it here, and shall not go away. Lorenzo took him up at once, saying, I will do it as quickly as I can, and I hope to do something that shall make the whole world wonder. The duke, who held him sometimes for a fool and sometimes for a coward, turned about in bed, and laughed at his bragging words. I took my leave without further ceremony, and left them alone together. The duke, who did not believe that I was really going, said nothing further. Afterwards, when he knew that I was gone, he sent one of his servants, who caught me up at Siena, and gave me fifty golden ducats with a message from the duke, that I should take and use them for his sake, and should return as soon as possible. And for Messer Lorenzo I have to tell you that he is preparing an admirable reverse for that medal which you want to make. I had left full directions to Petro Pagolo, the Roman above mentioned, how he had to use the dies, but as it was a very delicate affair, he never quite succeeded in employing them. I remained creditor to the mint in a matter of more than seventy crowns on account of dies supplied by me. Note 1. This Ottaviano was not descended from either Cosimo or Lorenzo de' Medici, but from an elder, though less illustrious, branch of the great family. He married Francesca Salviati, the aunt of Duke Cosimo. Though a great patron of the arts and an intimate friend of M. A. Buonarroti, he was not popular, owing to his pride of place. 82. On the journey to Rome I carried with me that handsome arquebus which the Duke gave me, and very much to my own pleasure I used it several times by the way, performing incredible feats by means of it. The little house I had in Strada Julia was not ready, so I dismounted at the house of Messer Giovanni Gotti, clerk of the Camera, to whose keeping I had committed, on leaving Rome, many of my arms and other things I cared for. So I did not choose to alight at my shop, but sent for Felice, my partner, and got him to put my little dwelling forthwith into excellent order. The day following I went to sleep there, after well providing myself with clothes and all things requisite, since I intended to go and thank the Pope next morning. I had two young serving lads, and beneath my lodgings lived a laundress who cooked extremely nice for me. That evening I entertained several friends at supper, and having passed the time with great enjoyment, betook myself to bed. The night had hardly ended, indeed it was more than an hour before daybreak, when I heard a furious knocking at the house-door, stroke succeeding stroke without a moment's pause. Accordingly I called my elder servant, Senzio, he was the man I took into the necromantic circle, and bade him to go and see who the madman was that knocked so brutally at that hour of the night. While Sencio was on this errand, I lighted another lamp, for I always keep one by me at night. Then I made haste to pass an excellent coat of mail over my shirt, and above that some clothes which I caught up at random. Sencio returned, exclaiming, "'Heavens, master, it is the Bargello and all his guard. He says that if you do not open at once, he will knock the door down. They have torches and a thousand things besides with them.' I answered, tell them that I am huddling my clothes on, and will come out to them in my shirt. Supposing it was a trap laid to murder me, as had been before done by Signor Luigi, I seized an excellent dagger with my right hand, and with my left I took the safe conduct. Then I ran to the back window, which looked out on gardens, and there I saw more than thirty constables, wherefore I knew that I could not escape upon that side. I made the two lads go in front, and told them to open the door exactly when I gave the word to do so. Then, taking up an attitude of defence, with the dagger in my right hand and the safe conduct in my left, I cried to the lads, Have no fear, but open. The Bargello, Vittorio, and the officers sprang inside at once, thinking they could easily lay hands upon me. But when they saw me prepared in that way to receive them, they fell back, exclaiming, We have a serious job on hand here. 
Then I threw the safe conduct to them, and said, Read that, and since you cannot seize me, I do not mean that you shall touch me. The Bargello upon this ordered some of his men to arrest me, saying he would look into the safe conduct later. Thereat I presented my arms boldly, calling aloud, Let God defend the right. Either I shall escape your hands alive, or be taken a dead corpse. The room was crammed with men. They made as though they would resort to violence. I stood upon my guard against them, so that the Bargello saw he would not be able to have me except in the way I said. Accordingly he called his clerk, and while the safe conduct was being read, he showed by signs two or three times that he meant to have me secured by his officers. But this had no effect of shaking my determination. At last they gave up the attempt, threw my safe conduct on the ground, and went away without their prize. 83. When I returned to bed, I felt so agitated that I could not get to sleep again. My mind was made up to let blood as soon as day broke. However, I asked advice of Messer Gatti, and he referred to a wretched doctor-fellow he employed, who asked me if I had been frightened. Now just consider what a judicious doctor this was, after I had narrated an occurrence of that gravity, to ask me such a question. He was an empty fribbler, who kept perpetually laughing about nothing at all. Simpering and sniggering, then, he bade me drink a good cup of Greek wine, keep my spirits up, and not be frightened. Messer Giovanni, however, said, Master, a man of bronze or marble might be frightened in such circumstances. How much more one of flesh and blood? The quack responded, Monsignor, we are not all made after the same pattern. This fellow is no man of bronze or marble, but of pure iron. Then he gave one of his meaningless laughs, and putting his fingers on my wrist, said, Feel here. This is not a man's pulse, but a lion's or a dragon's. At this, I, whose blood was thumping in my veins, probably far beyond anything which that fool of a doctor had learned from his Hippocrates or Galen, know at once how serious was my situation. Yet, wishing not to add to my uneasiness and to the harm I had already taken, I made show of being in good spirits. While this was happening, Messer Giovanni had ordered dinner, and we all of us sat down to eat in company. I remembered that Messer Lodovico de Fano, Messer Antonio Allegretti, Messer Giovanni Greco, all of them men of the finest scholarship, and Messer Annabel Caro, who was then quite young, were present. At table the conversation turned entirely upon my act of daring. They insisted on hearing the whole story over and over again for my apprentice Sencio, who was a youth of superlative talent, bravery, and extreme personal beauty. Each time that he described my truculent behavior, throwing himself into the attitudes I had assumed, and repeating the words which I had used, he called up some fresh detail to my memory. They kept asking him if he had been afraid, to which he answered that they ought to ask me if I had been afraid, because he felt precisely the same as I had. All this chattering grew irksome to me, and since I still felt strongly agitated, I rose at last from the table, saying that I wanted to go and get new clothes of blue silk and stuff for him and me, adding that I meant to walk in procession after four days at the Feast of Our Lady, and meant Sencio to carry a white lighted torch on the occasion. Accordingly I took my leave, and had the blue cloth cut, together with a handsome jacket of blue sarcenet and a little doublet of the same, and I had a similar jacket and waistcoat made for Sencio. When these things had been cut out, I went to see the Pope, who told me to speak with Messer Ambruogio, for he had given orders that I should execute a large piece of golden plate. So I went to find Messer Ambruogio, who had heard the whole of the affair of the Bargello, and had been in concert with my enemies to bring me back to Rome, and had scolded the Bargello for not laying hands on me. The man excused himself by saying that he could not do so in the face of the safe conduct which I held. 
Messer Ambrogio now began to talk about the Pope's commission, and bade me make drawings for it, saying that the business should be put at once in train. Meanwhile the feast of Our Lady came round. Now it is the custom for those who get a pardon upon this occasion to give themselves up to prison, in order to avoid doing which I returned to the Pope, and told His Holiness that I was very unwilling to go to prison, and that I begged him to grant me the favour of a dispensation. The Pope answered that such was the custom, and that I must follow it. Thereupon I fell again upon my knees, and thanked him for the safe conduct he had given me, saying at the same time that I should go back with it to serve my duke in Florence, who was waiting for me so impatiently. On hearing this the Pope turned to one of his confidential servants and said, Let Benvenuto get his grace without the prison, and see that his motto proprio is made out in due form. As soon as the document had been drawn up, His Holiness signed it. It was then registered at the capital. Afterwards, upon the day appointed, I walked in procession very honourably between two gentlemen, and so got clear at last. 84. Four days had passed when I was attacked with violent fever attended by extreme cold, and taking to my bed, I made up my mind that I was sure to die. I had the first doctors of Rome called in, among whom was Francesco de Norcia, a physician of great age, and of the best repute in Rome. I told them what I believed to be the cause of my illness, and said that I had wished to let blood, but that I had been advised against it, and if it was not too late I begged them to bleed me now. Maestro Francesco answered that it would not be well for me to let blood then, but that if I had done so before I should have escaped without mischief. At present they would have to treat the case with other remedies. So they began to doctor me as energetically as they were able, while I grew daily worse and worse so rapidly that after eight days the physicians despaired of my life, and said that I might be indulged in any whim I had to make me comfortable. Maestro Francesco added, As long as there is breath in him, call me at all hours, for no one can divine what nature is able to work in a young man of this kind. Moreover, if he should lose consciousness, administer these five remedies one after the other, and send for me, for I will come at any hour of the night. I would rather save him than any of the cardinals in Rome. Every day Messer Giovanni Gatti came to see me two or three times, and each time he took up one or another of my handsome fowling pieces, coats of mail or swords, using words like these, That is a handsome thing, that other is still handsomer, and likewise with my models and other trifles, so that at last he drove me wild with annoyance. In his company came a certain Matteo Franzesi, and this man also appeared to be waiting impatiently for my death, not indeed because he would inherit anything from me, because he wished for what his master seemed to have so much at heart. Felice, my partner, was always at my side, rendering the greatest services which it is possible for one man to give another. Nature in me was utterly debilitated and undone. I had not strength enough to fetch my breath back if it left me, and yet my brain remained as clear and strong as it had been before my illness. Nevertheless, although I kept my consciousness, a terrible old man used to come to my bedside, and make as though he would drag me by force into a huge boat he had with him. This made me call out to my Felice to draw near and chase that malignant old man away. Felice, who loved me most affectionately, ran weeping and crying, Away with you, old traitor, you are robbing me of all the good I have in this world. Messer Giovanni Gatti, who was present, then began to say, The poor fellow is delirious, and has only a few hours to live. His fellow, Matteo Franzesi, remarked, He has read Dante, and in the prostration of his sickness this apparition has appeared to him. Then he added, laughingly, Away with you, old rascal, and don't bother our friend Benvenuto. When I saw that they were making fun of me, I turned to Messer Gatti and said, My dear master, 
know that I am not raving, and that it is true that this old man is really giving me annoyance. But the best that you can do for me would be to drive that miserable Matteo from my side, who is laughing at my affliction. Afterwards, if your lordship deigns to visit me again, let me beg you to come with Messer Antonio Allegretti, or Messer Annabel Caro, or with some other of your accomplished friends, who are persons of quite different intelligence and discretion from that beast. Thereupon Messer Giovanni told Matteo in jest to take himself out of his sight for ever, but because Matteo went on laughing, the joke turned to earnest, for Messer Giovanni would not look upon him again, but sent for Messer Antonio Allegretti, Messer Ludovico, and Messer Annabel Caro. On the arrival of these worthy men I was greatly comforted, and talked reasonably with them a while, however, not without frequently urging Felice to drive the old man away. Messer Ludovico asked me what it was I seemed to see, and how the man was shaped. While I portrayed him accurately in words, the old man took me by the arm and dragged me violently toward him. This made me cry out for aid, because he was going to fling me under hatches in his hideous boat. On saying that last word I fell into a terrible swoon, and seemed to be sinking down into the boat. They say that during that fainting fit I flung myself about and cast bad words at Messer Giovanni Gatti, to wit, that he came to rob me, and not from any motive of charity, and other insults of the kind, which caused him to be much ashamed. Later on, they say that I still lay like one dead, and after waiting by me more than an hour, thinking I was growing cold, they left me for dead. When they returned home, Matteo Franzesi was informed, who wrote to Florence to Messer Benedetto Varchi, my very dear friend, that they had seen me die at such and such an hour of the night. When he heard the news, the most accomplished man and my dear friend composed an admirable sonnet upon my supposed, but not real, death, which shall be reported in its proper place. More than three long hours passed, and yet I did not regain consciousness. Felice, having used all the remedies prescribed by Maestro Francesco, and seeing that I did not come to, ran post-haste to the physician's door, and knocked so loudly that he woke him up, and made him rise, and begged him with tears to come to the house, for he thought that I was dead. Whereto Maestro Francesco, who was a very choleric man, replied, My son, of what use do you think I should be if I came? If he is dead, I am more sorry than you are. Do you imagine that if I were to come with my medicine I could breathe up through his guts and bring him back to life for you? But when he saw that the poor young fellow was going away weeping, he called him back and gave him an oil with which to anoint my pulses and my heart, telling him to pinch my little fingers and toes very tightly, and to send at once to call if I should revive. Felice took his way, and did as Maestro Francesco had ordered. It was almost bright day when, thinking they would have to abandon hope, they gave orders to have my shroud made and to wash me. Suddenly I regained consciousness, and called out to Felice to drive away the old man on the moment who kept tormenting me. He wanted to send for Maestro Francesco, but I told him not to do so, but to come close up to me, because that old man was afraid of him and went away at once. So Felice drew near to the bed, I touched him, and it seemed to me that the infuriated old man withdrew, so I prayed him not to leave me for a second. When Maestro Francesco appeared, he said that it was his dearest wish to save my life, and that he had never in all his days seen greater force in a young man than I had. Then he sat down to write, and prescribed for me perfumes, lotions, unctions, plasters, and a heap of other precious things. Meanwhile I came to life again by the means of more than twenty leeches applied to my buttocks, but with my body bore through, bound, and ground to powder. Many of my friends crowded in to behold the miracle of the resuscitated dead man, and among them people of the first importance. In their presence I declared that the small amount of gold and money I possessed, 
perhaps some eight hundred crowns, with what gold, silver, jewels, and cash, should be given by my will to my poor sister in Florence, called Mona Liparata. All the remainder of my property, armor and everything besides, I left to my dearest Felice, together with fifty golden ducats, in order that he might buy mourning. At these words Felice flung his arms around my neck, protesting that he wanted nothing but to have me, as he wished, alive with him. Then I said, If you want me alive, touch me as you did before, and threaten the old man, for he is afraid of you. At these words some of the folk were terrified, knowing that I was not raving, but talking to the purpose and with all my wits. Thus my wretched malady went dragging on, and I got but little better. Maestro Francesco, that most excellent man, came four or five times a day. Messer Giovanni Gatti, who felt ashamed, did not visit me again. My brother-in-law, the husband of my sister, arrived. He came from Florence for the inheritance. But as he was a very worthy man, he rejoiced exceedingly to have found me alive. The sight of him did me a world of good, and he began to caress me at once, saying he had only come to take care of me in person, and this he did for several days. Afterwards I sent him away, having almost certain hope of my recovery. On this occasion he left the sonnet of Messer Benedetto Varchi, which runs as follows. Who shall, Matteo, yield our pain relief? Who shall forbid the sad expense of tears? Alas, tis true that in his youthful years our friend hath flown and left us here to grieve. He hath gone up to heaven, who was the chief of men renowned in art's immortal spheres. Among the mighty dead he had no peers, nor shall earth see his like in my belief. O gentle sprite, if love still sway the blest, look down on him, thou here didst love, and view these tears that mourn my loss not thy great good. There dost thou gaze on his beatitude, who made our universe, and findest true, the form of him thy skill for men expressed. End of chapters 81 through 84